Welcome to episode 380 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I talk about the inner workings of the entertainment industry with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out last week's episode where I had the pleasure of chatting with actor Matt Hill. Matt voiced Captain N, the Game Master, in the Nintendo-based cartoon from the uh, late 80s, early 90s era. He was also the voice of Raphael in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, and also was the performer of Raphael, meaning he was in the, the costume in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. And he's done some other great roles throughout his illustrious career. So if you want to go back and hear his story, check out that really fun episode. And I've been a little um, reminiscent of the podcast might be the appropriate word to, to say because this is episode 380, so we are 20 episodes away from hitting number 400. And a lot of podcasts you know, don't make it to you know 100 episodes, much less where we are at 380. And the run that we've been having on this show as far as you know the, the guest and really the quality of the interviews, I feel, um, has been really good and the best run that the podcast has had in a long time. Been getting more feedback, more people are subscribing to the YouTube channel, listening to the audio version. And it, it really reaffirms you know, the decision I made to bring the show back after a year hiatus. And this week was no exception because I got to chat with Phil Moore, who was the host of one of my favorite game shows growing up, Nick Arcade. Growing up in the 90s, that was really the golden age of Nickelodeon. And the cartoons get a lot of the credit, and rightfully so, like Rocco's Modern Life, Rugrats, Hey Arnold, Cat Dog. They were great. But they also had some great game shows as well, like Legends of the Hidden Temple, Guts. But Nick Arcade was the one that stood out to me more than any other, because it was the one I truly felt that I could relate to. Being an only child, I had to find ways to entertain myself growing up. And really the, the number one means to do that were video games. So getting to watch the contestants play games that you know, I played around the same time was really cool. So when the opportunity presented itself to chat with Phil, uh, I jumped at it. And uh, we just had an incredible conversation about you know, him starting out as a stand-up comedian, how he got the role of Nick Arcade uh, as the host of Nick Arcade. Uh, which is a really, really cool story in and of itself. Some of his favorite moments from the show, and really, you know, just talking about that time frame from the 90s and why it was so special. And I, I thank him immensely for taking time out of his schedule to chat with me. This was another one of those, you know, if you had told me 15 years ago I'd be having this conversation, I would have laughed at you. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation as much as I had of being a part of it. Here is my chat with Phil Moore. Happy to welcome producer, actor, writer, and if you were a fan of the 90s Nickelodeon like I was growing up, you recognize him as the host of Nick Arcade, Mr. Phil Moore. Phil, how are you, sir? Hey, man, it's great to be here. I am doing great. How are you today, man? I love the intro, by the way. You, you checked out... I you make it sound like I should be a responsible citizen by now. <laughs> I do my best. I, I do my best to try. But I'm. But well, you did. A, you did a great job, man. I, I'm great. How you doing? 
Good, good. No, and I'm I've been excited to to chat with you, you know, for weeks ever since we set up this conversation because uh-huh. you know, I'm in my late 30s, so I was like the uh-huh. prime age for the what I call the golden age of Nickelodeon. Right. And right. I'm I'm excited to talk about, you know, Nick Arcade here in a second, but I did mm-hmm. want to ask you like how, how did you start your career in show business was it something that you aspired to do at an early age or was it something that you just kind of happened into absolutely not something i just happened into uh which is why it's funny because when i talk to people when i talk to like people that are my age that have kids that are like in their 20s and 30s and they're like he doesn't know what he wants to do and i'm like that's okay if he's in the right direction if it looks like it's something that can work out uh you know be supportive and, and until you see it's something really going off the rails because i'm telling you man it, it wasn't even something i kind of a little bit did you know it wasn't like oh i used to do theater or i used to you know do none of that matter of fact when i was a kid um uh growing up in baltimore my my my, my best my best friend back home uh is now a major composer i mean he's one i actually have a friend who's like family to me that I can actually say has conducted an orchestra at Carnegie Hall. He's played Carnegie Hall, okay? So it was in his blood. Me and his sister is a teacher at Berkeley Conservatory, a music teacher there. And so when so so to keep us out of trouble during the summer, our moms would go, let's send the kids to theater camp. And I'd be like, really? Can, can I go to the other camp where it smells like like a locker room and you're out in the middle of a lake somewhere and you're wearing the same underwear for four days. Can I go to that camp? Can I go to camp on Awana? No, I've got to go to theater camp. Black kid in the middle of Baltimore city singing Oklahoma. It literally, I literally was, I literally was the, 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 the opening scene to, to the reboot version of, um, 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 oh my gosh. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. What's the, Zack Snyder did it. it has Night Owl in it. Mr. Manhattan. Oh, Watchmen. Watchmen, right. I am literally the reboot opening scene when, to, to Night Owl. If anybody saw the reboot on HBO, it starts out in a black town doing Oklahoma. And I was like, who's been talking to my mom? <laughs> I'm never going to watch that scene the same way again now. And listen, here's the thing that's crazy. I am not kidding. For those of you who think I'm sitting up here trying to say something here, just trying to be funny. While the scene was playing on TV and I got over the initial shock of the scene opens up with a bunch of uh, a black community doing Oklahoma. After I go over the initial shock, I'm sitting on this towel going, everything's up to date in Kansas City. It's gone about as far as it. Oh, man. It was like you were on autopilot. It just clicked. Oh my gosh. It's so real, man. But no, it was never anything I aspired to do at all, man. I, uh, I, uh, I, all my friends, you know, they were all grown ups. Everybody thought I was going to be like a scientist. Uh, I was, I was heavily into aviation. I was heavily into the space program. Um, if anything, if it had anything to do with astronomy, I was all over that. Um, as a matter of fact, when I ended up like going to, to college down in Florida, I went to an aviation university. I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I, it, you know, it, it, it was all about if it, it was if it was up in the sky. I didn't necessarily want to be a pilot. Didn't necessarily want to be an astronaut. But I was fascinated with 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 the space and with with cosmos and with aviation. You know why things went up, why things stood, stayed up, 
and and then and different ways to bring them back safely. My big thing was I wanted to be the guy to 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 invent in my brain. I thought I wanted to be the guy who eventually invented controlled reentry, so you had no need for a heat shield. That's why, like when you watch Martin, like when any show you watch, whether it's you know Star Wars, ever, you don't need a heat shield because the only thing that causes the heat is the accelerated uh, descent and burning on the bottom of your ship when you are reentering the atmosphere. But if you control, if you can control your descent, you don't need anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm nerding out on you here. That's what I know. I, I love it. Do. No, I love this kind of stuff. But. Uh, <laughs> That's what I thought I was going to do. Uh, uh, the thing that got me into show business, honestly, I, I've always been sort of like the, the odd sort of personality. I always like to have fun. I always like to goof off and, 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 and have fun and be funny with friends all the time. And um, uh, I was, you know, I was working at AT&T after school, after college and, uh, you know, had a respectable job. You know, I was making making the parents proud and uh, AT&T went on strike one year and we were out on the picket line and I was just out there just being myself, having fun, you know, and, and some of the other people who, who I worked with at the time were equally like crazy, funny people. And it was just like we were you would have thought we were at somebody's backyard barbecue. We were having so much fun. But in reality, we were all broke, busted and unemployed. But we were having so much fun. And somebody said, man. You having too much fun to be out here broke, man. You know what? Since you got this time in your hand, you should try doing open mic night at this brand new comedy club that opened up. And that those words being said to me is what made made me go. Oof. I got a number of time. Okay, why not? I'll give it a shot. So then I started writing down some of the things that we were doing that I thought were funny. Because, you know, most of the time people, you know, you're hanging with your friends and people are just shooting, shooting the breeze and you're just chatting about and you're just going off and you're saying stuff and the whole room laughs. And then the, tomorrow morning, you don't remember what you talked about. So it was weird. I started like taking, I, be, I became a stenographer at, at our, our, our little gatherings. You know, we get together and we laugh and go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Wait, what, what was that again, Bob? <laughs> writing things down and uh, just put together, you know, open mic night. You need two, three minutes. That's all you needed. Two, three minutes, by the way, folks, and an open mic night is an eternity on stage, you know. But that's that's literally how it started. That We're talking about I'm well out of high school. I'm well out of college. I'm a grown man. Um, was a man. I think I was like, at the time I was married, it was like, I was an adult, man. I was adulting, as they say, you know? And and that was the first time I ever did any show busy thing outside of, you know, being thrown into the, the summer musical theater thing, you know, when I was a kid back in Baltimore. That's it. Did you have any like uh, like stage fright or stage anxiety when you did the the open no, night nights? No, no, okay. and that, and that, no, and and that's why that's why I think it's uh, a lot of things sort of there is this thing no matter what it is you do. Like I I'll say sometimes sometimes I look at somebody and all they are is the person giving a presentation at IBM and in my brain I go they'd be a great show host or they would be fantastic uh, at the Emmys. It's it's about it's not about the thing you do it's the skill set certain skills uh are required to do a, a different things and some a lot of times it can be four or five different things but the same skill is required to do whatever um i was that guy when i was like in elementary school dude you remember back in like when you were in middle school and you had to give oral reports and everybody's cringing in the back nobody wants to be first i would be like 
Miss Smith, it's the day to day for the oral report. I like to be first if it is. Like, you know, it's like getting up in front of people and 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 rambling on has never been anything I've shied away from. So so no, yeah, it's the first time up, yeah, it was never any the, 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 the stage fright, I would say, came from when you do stand-up comedy, there's an expectation. If you're just given a report, people just have to listen. You know, if if you're if you're uh, you know, even even at times like you know little youth things at church and Phil's gonna Phil's gonna read the whatever today. I'm like great. All they have to do is listen. The only thing that was a little bit different when I started doing stand up was there is an expectation. It is a give and a receive. If I say the thing right, then I expect to receive some you know laughter back. And when it doesn't happen, that's when you kind of go ooh. But it wasn't about being afraid to go up on stage. It was it was anxiety over not getting the the expected response that you intend when you go up, you know, doing stand-up. Right. You know? The reverse is, I, I always say it's the reverse for singers. Like when you do stand-up, you say something you want to hear noise. If you're a singer, you want them to shut up while you're singing. If they start gabbing while you're talking, that means you're not holding them, you know? So that was the, that, so, but no, any real stage fright? Not really, no. Well, and that, from there, how did you get the the job with Nick Arcade? Because it started oh. in the in the early '90s. So, yeah. how, how did you get involved with that show? It it literally, it, I, I always tell people this is the most boring part of the history of Fillmore. It was just an audition. I mean, that, that's literally what it is. You know, uh, uh, I had an agent. And my agent, you know, started sending me out for a variety of things. At the time, I was living in Orlando, Florida. And and, and during that time, like toward the, the late 80s, like 88, 89, 90, Orlando started becoming what they called Hollywood East. Um, um, at the Universal was building not only the theme park, but they were also having, they were building actual working sound stages, just like at the Hollywood one. And the Disney Disney World had been there, but they started building the Disney MGM Studios, which is now I think it's called Hollywood Disney or something. But at the time, they called it the Disney MGM Studios, and it was going to have also actual real active working sound stages like the Disney Studios uh, here in Los Angeles. So um, they were trying to become like that East Coast version, you know, take a little bit of the thunder maybe from New York. Atlanta hadn't gotten into the game yet. And that's what they were in the process of doing. So again, it was a kind of right place, right time. You know, uh, I came there, I was in the right place at the right time. And um, that's what they were trying to gear into to doing uh, when I decided to make this sort of career change or t dip my toe into this new career venture. And what's interesting, you know, for, for those that you're listening that grew up around that time, there were a lot of game shows on Nickelodeon, like you had Nick Arcade, you had like Guts, Legends of the Hidden Temple. So you had a ton of different options with with me being, you know, an only child. I had video games as a big outlet for me. So when mm -hmm. I so happened to, you know, watch this this show about, you know, kids playing video games, I'm like, oh, like that could be me. And, yeah. And, and then, you know, as an adult, I appreciate more the the behind the scenes aspect because it's insane how you guys made that show happen. It yeah, really, I, like I, as a kid, I, you're not thinking about it because you're like, oh, I get to be in a video game. That's cool. And when you see yeah. how you guys pulled it off, I'm like, what? 
I always give mad props to everybody other than myself because, first of all, um, I did the audition. It took, like, the initial audition and six callbacks, like seven tries before they – yes. And I just tell you, most of the time, for those who don't know, most of the time, folks, you do the audition, then you get a callback. And then when you do the callback, it's almost like the initial audition, except you're doing it and you're competing against fewer people. They've narrowed down the the field of folks. And then – and by the time you get to maybe callback number three or four tops, you're now doing it in front of the executives, the producers. If there's a show, like if you're an actor, you might be reading with the actual star of the show. And then they make their decision. This was like, this was like six additional times after the original audition. Um, and, 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 and at the time, even though you named all of those game shows, at the time, there wasn't a lot of game shows on. Double Dare was on. Um, the Get the Picture had been on um, the, the, the first show that Michael Malley hosted. Um, there was another show. It's weird. Like, I didn't watch Nickelodeon at the time, you know, before I started, you know, hosting there. But there was another show, two or a couple other shows on. And I can't remember what their names are. But there were two other shows prior to the year 1990. And, and I just remember once I found out what I was auditioning for, I said, let me look at what's on. Oh, uh, Wild and Crazy Kids was on. Um, but it was like, let, let me find out what's on so I have a familiarity with this network that I'm auditioning for something to do. Um, but um, it was it was interesting. It, it did become a thing, which is why I think to this day, the 90s is considered the golden era because there was only a couple of game shows, two or three on prior. And, and then once you got into the 2000s, not really so much, but like the day in which that's what people wanted, that's what people were throwing down on, that was the decade of the 90s. And, and, and I literally did an entire decade there. I mean, I started, uh, uh, we started shooting the Arcade in 1990. It premiered January 1st, 1991. Despite what the internet may tell you people, when people always go, but it says right here. I'm like, I know it says it right there, but I was there. So like, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I was there. Um and so, uh, and then the last thing I did was uh, I did a show in 1999 called You're On. Uh, it was like a hidden camera game show. And then I, I was on for a little teeny bit as a consultant on Double Dare 2000. So, and in between, I did a whole bunch of other stuff. I, I made the 27 episodes of Figure It Out. I did the pilot of all that. There was the Nickelodeon Live Tour, which was a touring show that went to all of the arenas, you know, wherever you play, wherever your basketball team played. We would go and do this show. It was the sister touring show to the Double Dare live show. And if anybody's ever seen that or been that, we're talking, you know, 25,000, you know, screaming kids in this place. And we're just like packed up on Red Bull going, wow, there was so much fun. Um, but yeah, I did I, I, I did the, the full decade, 1992 to the year 2000. And it was an amazing time. And and that's when the game shows. that It was it, when I got there, get the picture it just finished. Double Dare was into, I think, its second incarnation. Then Nick Arcade came along. Then after Nick Arcade came uh, Legends in the Temple. Then Guts. No, then was it Guts? I don't I can't remember if Guts or 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 um, uh, figure it out. But it was like neck and neck when those two started. And then we became like from the from till the end of the decade, we were the Fab Five, the, those five shows. And it was like it was a great time. Like I got to know all the hosts. We got to hang out. 
doing things like Nick takes over your schools and the big helpathons. And it was really, it was a, it sounds cliche, man, but it really was a family community. And now people like you, I have a whole new family because at the time there were a whole bunch of kids on Nickelodeon, you know, kids that were on Clarissa Explains It All, kids that were on all that. Well, they were kids. I was friends with their parents. And, you know, I was friendly to them, but they were kids. So it was kind of like you see them, you hang out, you do whatever show you were doing, and you, you know, sit in the green room and talk with their parents and all that stuff. But now they're all in their 30s and 40s, and I get to hang out with them because now we're all grown up. So it's like, oh, my gosh, uh, these little kids are now, you know, adults, and we're all sitting around talking about, oh, man, let me tell you about my kids. You got kids? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that that's fantastic. And you know, mentioning the the popularity of the game shows around that time, and I I think as great as you know the cartoons were around that time, people like to feel involved, like they like that engagement. And I think that's one of the reasons why the game shows were such a big hit. Because you know I can remember watching them and being like, that could be me on the stage, or it could mm-hmm. be me playing this video game, or climbing the aggro crag, whatever the, yeah. the case may be. Yeah. So it, it provided, you know, a, a lot of entertainment for not just me, but, you know, for other kids that I knew, like we'd go to school and we would talk about, oh, did you watch Nick Arcade? And usually I'd be like, I could have probably beat that game faster than the <laughs> contestant could. <laughs> so I've, I've got to ask, so you mentioning the the audition and the, the six callbacks that you had, which... Mm-hmm. I get, but six, I think, might be is a little extreme. Like, that's a lot. It was, yeah. But um, yeah. when you went into the audition, did you have, because you, know, you were known for being like a very high energy kind of host, like always upbeat and really making the kids who are the contestants feel comfortable and almost at home on the set. Did mm-hmm. you have that kind of style when you did the initial audition? Or did that, yeah. so then you kind of developed as you were doing no no i walked in and i was just me the thing about all of the shows and this is me i'm gonna i'm gonna pat the back of all the creators of all the shows and also pat the back of all the hosts of all the shows because the thing that i realized that was common is all of the shows were different like they all were different and what they all did was in creating these game shows whoever created these shows whatever the individual it's like they really were interested in what kids like to do and then said, how can we do that in an extreme way? Kids like playing video games. Look, I wasn't the first and only video game show on TV, but it's the one that people will remember the most because we did something sort of extreme with it. You know, figure it out. It's just a trivia game show. Okay. But what if you had some extreme stakes in getting the answer, the answer wrong? Kids like sports. You like playing basketball? Let's put a bungee cord to your back. You know what I mean? It's like, let's just do everything in an extreme way. You like having family game night? Well, what if instead of just hitting the pop-o-matic and and, and getting your get-out-of-jail-free card, what if you had to dig your finger up a nose and pull out some boogers and stuff? It's like family game night, everybody does. But Nickelodeon went, how do we do these things extreme? Even like with Legends of the Hidden Temple, it was like, you know, kids sat around, we told stories, we make up, you know, stories and things. Well, it was like, what if though we did it? And like, instead of it being like, and a guy turned around and jumped at me, there's a real temple guard doing it. So it was something really, really unique uh, about like how they 
how they approached just even doing these shows so that it was just regular, but like amped up. Now for me, I had been doing stand-up, I uh, was stand-up comedy, but but then I sort of got away from being on the road because I had become a brand new dad. And part of doing stand-up is you have to go on the road a lot. Well, I didn't want to be away. You know, I had a newborn at home. I wanted to be there to support at the time my wife, you know, and I wanted to, you know, be a hands-on dad. And again, right time, right place. With these new sound stages shooting real TV shows there, they needed audience warm-up people. And for anybody who's ever been to a taping of a TV show, there's a person that's there that keeps the audience pumped, that keeps the audience hyped, their job is to be the hype person for the show and to make everybody feel welcome and at home. And it was already in my DNA because I've been doing that as an audience warm-up for a variety of different shows. I was the audience warm-up for the new Mickey Mouse Club. I was the audience warm-up for, uh, you know, uh, Let's Make a Deal before it became the Wayne Brady version. I was the audience warm-up for uh, the uh, $100,000 episodes of America's Funniest Home Videos, because they would shoot some of them at, at yeah, I was the audience warm-up for uh, Win, Lose, or Draw, and Teen Win, Lose, or Draw, which was like a game show with like Pictionary, but at the time they called it, you know, Win, Lose, or Draw. Um, so I was, and again, we'd have these studio audiences, and so my job was to make sure that everybody felt welcome, kept everybody pumped up, because, you know, when you watch a TV show, on television, it might be 30 minutes in, in TV time, uh, but in real life in the studio, it could be an hour, an hour and a half. And so you want to make sure that everybody still is on the edge of their seats and whenever you came back from whatever commercial break or came back from whatever technical hole there was for whatever malfunction, the audience was still like, no, no, we're still there. We're still good. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. And that was what I did. You know, and look, as you can tell, just even talking right here, I... I still have this crazy energy. I can't even imagine what I was like 30 years ago if I'm still like this now. <laughs> um, so it was, in, it was in my DNA naturally. Um, the one thing that I noticed when I began hosting this show, and, and, and well, before I got hosted the show, the final audition was more like a screen test where they brought you into the studio. They had had, we used the actual set to get the picture instead of Nick Arcade as our, because they were still building the Nick Arcade set on a different soundstage. And they brought in real kids. They paid them, you know, their parents would bring them in. They auditioned and picked some kids to be our test contestants. And they narrowed it down to two people. And so this is years later. I've, I asked the creators of the show, uh, the James Bethea and Karim Metef. This is like maybe five years ago. We're in New York City. We're hanging out, we're having pizza. And I'm like, guys, now that I'm producer, you know, I get to see a lot of people and their criteria that I base how I choose who's on various shows. I'm like, why did you guys choose me? Was I just the most awesome dude of all? And they went, without even hesitating, no. <laughs> Pin in my ego balloon, pop. <laughs> so I'm like, then I very humbly like, why did you pick me? <laughs> and it, I think it, I think this is a roundabout way of answering your initial question. They said the other guy was fantastic, and I never asked who he was. I didn't know. I didn't want to know who he was. I'm like, but they said the other guy was fantastic. I mean, we got down. It fell with seven auditions. You know, this is, it took so long because you know, and it got down to units. So the other guy went in first. 
I wasn't there. And then they brought me in the next day. And 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 uh, and I, he said, but he was fantastic. He was like, he had everything. He had like the boom, 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 boom. And I said, then why did you choose me? And they go, because whenever, when even when you're doing a, an audition, when you're doing a screen test, sometimes they stop to change the batteries on the camera. Sometimes they stop because they want to discuss something and they go, okay, could you back up and do it again? Pick it up from this spot, whatever. For whatever reason, whenever they would stop, they said the other person would look over his cards, you know, make sure he was having everything. You could see him kind of memorizing stuff and getting it in his head. And I'm like, okay. He goes, yeah, but whenever you stop, you would put down your cards and you would go and talk to the kids. And they said, we saw this real authentic desire to make the kids, even though these are our test audition, helping me audition kids, he said, you, we saw that you naturally wanted to engage them and make them feel comfortable. Because if I said the line wrong, I said the line wrong. Instead of sitting there going, make sure I get this line right, make sure I get this line right. He said, we saw that your, your memorization did not uh, uh, overshadow your desire to make the kids who were there with you feel comfortable. He said, that was from your last audition. We want, boom. Every time we stopped, I talked to the kids. So it was kind of weird. The thing that got me a job was nothing that ever got recorded. <laughs> you know, you're busy video, you know, they're recording you so they can look at it and, you know, go back to New York and sit around in the office and decide who. When, but whenever they stop the cameras to change tape or change a battery, that stuff is what made the difference for now. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the purpose of the shows to really like make the kids feel involved and feel comfortable. So you doing it off camera, yeah, that that's really observant on their part. That's, yeah, I, that's, that's I, I really, really cool. Yeah, once once they told me that, again, now that I'm producer, I added that to my repertoire of things to look out for when I'm out now working. I was like, it was really good insight to find that out about them. I never knew that until like about five years ago. Well, that was a great thing that you would do, like at the beginning of Nick Arcade, you would ask each kid like about their hobbies or like a sport they might play. Like you, you get to know the contestant a little bit. And I, I, yeah. I bet that had to make them, you know, feel even better than the fact that they were on an actual game show. Yeah, it does. It, it's a way to sort of just loosen them up. Like we start out playing the game right away with the face off. But by the time we got done, before we go on any further, just who you are and then get the audience to cheer for you. It's kind of neat to say, I collect baseball cards and 400 kids in the audience go, yay, baseball cards. And you, again, you feel really good about yourself. Like no matter what your hobby was, we were going to uh, shine a spotlight on it and 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 really just celebrate whatever it is you did and make you feel good about it. Nobody ever came on and said, uh, you know, I I, uh, I collect comic books. And people were like, comic books? What a nerd. Now, you know, nobody ever did that. Nobody, if you said you're on a football team, we went, yay! If you said like, hey, I sing in the choir, I'm the lead singer, and we went, yay! But if you said, I have a stamp collection, we would go, yay! You know, you would feel good about whatever it was you did as a person, not just a kid, but as a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you, you know, through all the numerous episodes you did of Nick Arcade, do you have a particular like favorite memory or moment that still stands out to you to this day? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my, one of my favorite moments is when we had the 
the cast of Salute Your Shorts on. Um, because, and I, I don't know about any other, because we had, we had the cast of Welcome Freshman on, we had the cast of Clarissa Explains It All on, but the, the, the reason why I think I had so much fun with the cast of Salute Your Shorts is they were really fans of the show. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, I, I you know, as a grown-up, I watched a handful of Clarissa's, you know, and maybe Clarissa watched Nick Arcade, or maybe the, the the people that played her mom and dad watched Nick Arcade an episode or two. But when we had the cast of um, Salute Your Shorts on, they were like, they knew the games. They were asking about previous episodes. They were asking me about other contestants. And so they were so involved with their knowledge of the show that normally I'm the one throwing out the energy so that people can feed off of it. But they threw back so much energy at me that I was feeding off of them. And I just had a good time because it was one of those things where it was like I didn't have to work as hard because they were just throwing this like really cool energy toward me um, just because they another thing, they weren't nervous. You know, a lot of kids were naturally the reason why you stopped and said, man, I could do so much better than them is because most of these contestants had never been like you asked me, was that did I ever have stage fright getting up in front of people for a lot of the contestants on Nick Arcade? It's their first time being in front of people doing a thing. But when you had these these actors, well, you know, that's what they do. They, they get up and they perform. And so the crowd didn't make them nervous. Uh, the, 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 the situation that they were in playing a game didn't make them nervous. As a matter of fact, it made them turn up their competitiveness up high. And uh, so that, that one has like a really special sort of uh, memory for me because I just remember wow, I'm really having a little bit of extra fun than normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember when that happened, like the, the crossover episode, like we had the cast of a certain show mm -hmm. on Nick Arcade, and I, you know, I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. There, there is one particular moment that I want to ask you about. Okay. So the, the announcer for Nick Arcade would always have these, you know, clever intros for you. Like mm -hmm. I remember- Andrea Lively. Yeah, where you know there was one where she said the only person to ever beat Sonic the Hedgehog in a hundred yard dash. Like I loved stuff like that. Uh -huh. There was one where she said, "No, he's not the guy from Star Trek," and you come out wearing the Jordy LaForge visor. And I I went back and watched that episode, and I like fell out of my seat laughing. Look, how, listen, how'd you pull that I off? Okay, so okay, so if anybody goes on my Instagram, it's still more for you. The num it's Fillmore, the number four, and the letter U. I actually have that pinned on my Instagram. I I've been doing. I was making an appearance at a at a at a, a big arcade, and somebody asked me about that, and they they put together a, a little video of that moment that, that you're talking about. But but so here's what happened. So when I was hosting Nick Arcade, every now and again somebody would think that I was LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. You know, uh, I would go places and they'd be like, I love Nick Arcade, yeah, I like Reading Rainbow too. And I'm like, I, I, great, I like it too, but I'm not him. But you know, you know what I mean? One world, you know what I mean? We're all doing the same thing. You know, uh, then later on when you got some older kids, you know, you had kids on Nick Arcade who were 14, 15, he goes, dude, how do you see with that visor on? I'm like, again, I'm <laughs> not him, but Hey, you know, so it happened so much and I had fun with it. Don't get me wrong. And it, it was, it was, it was, first of all, to be even 
my name being spoken in the same sentence favorably with LeVar Burton with all of the phenomenal accomplishments, accomplishments he's had was just an honor. So one day, I, it, and it happened again. Uh, and so after, uh, on one day we were shooting, so I went to the executives, I went to the, the the art department and I said, you know, guys, it happened the other, it happened just today. And I went, yeah, we thought it was funny. Somebody in the audience, when you were, you know, before we started taping, I love this show. Thank you. I like reading Rainbow too. And, I'm like, and, then, and, I, and I was mic'd and the people in the control room, they all heard. So I said, hey, can we, can I come out? Like, can we make a visor? And, and so I wrote that line, the line that Andrea says, I wrote it, um, the little Star Trek emblem pen, I already had one because, you know, nerd. And so I just had the uh, art department make a visor for me. And and, and I, I, I showed the, the producer the intro that I wrote. And they said they loved it. I gave it to Andrea. And the rest, as they say, is what you see. <laughs> I just love that, you know, like you come out, you're wearing the visor and you just like are pointing at the camera and really like playing up the whole thing was just, oh, it was so good. <laughs> so good. The fact that you owned it was so good oh man i'm telling you it was it was so much fun and like i said it would it would it would always come after like it was it was really interesting that they always acknowledged like nick arcade first and then a lavar burton thing like i never had the i never had the situation to go hey aren't you the green rainbow guy it would be like hey you're the nickelodeon guy yeah oh and i like reading rain or i like star trek too and i'm like <laughs> but so anyway they mentioned nick uh, arcade first Exactly. So, so. And and like I said, I embraced it. I had fun with it and uh, and uh, and ended up like doing that little bit on the show. And like I said, uh, two years ago, I was uh, at an arcade doing an appearance and um, told that story. Somebody cut it together with footage of LeVar Burton and, and footage from that intro. And I have it pinned on my Instagram page because it's 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 classic. It is it is it represents. For me, what I think is best of the 90s. <laughs> I'll have to go check that out when we're done. Um, last thing before we get out of here, um, do you have a website or social media you'd like to plug? And do you have any? I know you've done some um, Comic-Con conventions um, in the past. Right. Do you have any coming right. up that you want to talk about? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, I'm going to be in Atlantic City, New Jersey at J1, J1 Gaming Expo. It's going to be at the Showboat Hotel. So it's like three nights, three days, whatever. It's going to be cosplay, anime, lots of gaming, and and I'm going to be there. Uh, I think I'm going to be emceeing a, a cosplay contest. I think I'm going to be emceeing uh, a, a video game tournament. So uh, if you're in the area uh, of Atlantic City, this November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, J1 Gaming Expo, check it out because I'm going to be there. Um, and then my social, I already told you, uh, my Instagram is, is and my TikTok or my ex is is my name simply my name phil p-h-i-l more m-o-r-e the number four and the letter u sort of a prince thing like i would die for you <laughs> the, uh, the number four and the letter u on both of those um and i also have a fan page on facebook if anybody still uses facebook um uh my fan page uh, you can tell it's me because um i actually did seth green reached out to me and i did uh two episodes of robot chicken where they made a little Little more Nick Arcade doll, and I voice myself. And so you know it's the right page because it's actually that little picture of my robot chicken doll on it. Um, uh, and then other than that, I am a producer. Uh, I right now on Monday nights, 
It just premiered two weeks ago. There's a brand new uh, uh, Latin-inspired game show called Loteria Loca, hosted by uh, Jaime Camel from uh, Jane Aversion and Coco. And our musical band director is the legendary Sheila E. Uh, it comes on Monday nights at 9 o'clock. And we just finished shooting the shows, and they just began airing. So if people want to check that out, I'm now, like, behind the scenes, still getting my game show on. Fantastic. Phil, this has been an honor. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, man, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm glad you reached out. Uh, and I'm glad you were persistent because sometimes I do get a little busy, but you kept on your game, man, and here we are. So it's been my absolute pleasure, man. You do a great job. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you again to Phil Moore for that amazing chat. Be sure to follow him on social media at Phil Moore for you. You can find the link to his Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages in the show notes for next week's episode it will be the day before halloween when next week's episode drops so i thought why not do a halloween themed show and we haven't done one of these in a while so i'm really excited to bring back the roundtable discussion chad sanders jason robbins and jeremy branch all three who have been on the show in the past will be joining me to talk about john carpenter one of the most iconic film directors in hollywood from Halloween to The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, we're going to be talking about a lot of his work. And this will also be the first, I believe, director, like featured director on an episode of the show. So we're going to have a really fun time. I always love chatting with the three of them. So be sure to come back for that fun episode. But if you want to check out other episodes of the podcast, if you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel or follow me on social media, Everything is in one convenient location, linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. No jumping around different websites to try to find the content. Everything is in one convenient location. Again, linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And if you could, please leave a review. I know this is, I feel like a broken record when I'm saying this, but it really does help to rate and review the podcast the more ratings and reviews that the show has, the more visible it is to those who are searching for new podcasts to listen to. Um, have gotten some new reviews, which I, I very much appreciate, but you can't have too many. So uh, if you could do that, if you take a moment out of your time, it doesn't take very long and it doesn't cost anything. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you once again to Phil Moore, and we'll see you guys back here next Monday for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast.